Welcome to the Top Order podcast. In this week in cricket, we talk turmoil in South African cricket, Aussie women dominating the Kiwis. We talk a little bit about the T20 Blast, and then we look at some of the trends in the IPL so far. Great to see that the domestic season is just on the way as well. So look out in the feed for previews of all of the provinces in New Zealand cricket as we talk to captains and key players from all of those sides. But all the other stuff's coming up on the Top Order podcast after the swish. Baldy, bragging rights to you, the Australian women dominating against New Zealand. Yeah, they were exceptional. Australia equaled the men's team record of 21 straight one-day international wins with their 3-0 series win over New Zealand at Allen Borderfield this week. They also won 2-1 in the T20. So in Australia's last 63-odd matches, I think they've gone 54-7, and seven, um, and that includes that 21-straight ODI victory. So the Australian women's team are as good as those vaunted men's teams at the turn of the century. They are just superb at the moment. Mate, and such a powerful top order with Haynes, Lanning, and Healy. That's look. That's got to be probably the some of the best top three batting we've seen in the women's game period. You know, th- this is along the lines of a, uh, you know, Steve War, Mark War, Michael Slater, or whoever, wherever you want to go mm. in, in terms of the men's game. Yeah, those three have been exceptional. I mean, Haynes could easily have had two hundreds opening the batting in those in those ODIs. Uh, she's been under a little bit of pressure, actually. A lot of been, a lot of people have been critical about Rachel Haynes opening the batting, but she know she showed why she should be an opening batsman for Australia in that short form. Um, she was exceptional. I mean, Australia were without Elise Perry, arguably our our best cricketer in that series, but. That top order put on really, really big scores. In the context of women's cricket, 325 in a one-day game is a phenomenal effort. Um, And New Zealand were on top in a number of those matches, 151 for four at the 30-over mark in the second ODI. I would text you, Stuart, and I said, look, New Zealand are right on top of Australia here, but it just so happened that those top three that you mentioned and Australia's spinners were just outstanding in this series. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it it felt from the New Zealand point of view, I mean... Obviously, you want to win games, but it felt like we were actually kind of hanging in there and being quite competitive in that series. And then, yeah, just gutting, I guess, for the last game to kind of end that way and that absolutely crushing, crushing loss. Yeah, I, I think I think by the end of that game, I think New Zealand had been sort of worn down quite a little bit. And I think the fact that they didn't get up to win one of those two earlier games where they were tremendously competitive may have shown, I think, in the end, Australia just had the wood on them. But it took some incredible performances with the bat for Australia to get home in those first two ODIs, and and then they were able to sort of really dominate in the third one, and you you kind of see that on occasion. And you two must be fizzing on the spin options for for Australia as well with Johansson, Wera, and Molyneux. Yeah, they've they've been fantastic. Johansson, she's the best spinner in the world. She's number one ranked bowler now, um, and she's taken that. And you can see why. She was dominant in in the one day as in particular. Um, and Georgia Wareham and, and Sophie Molyneux have been exceptional as well. That spin trio is looking really good for Australia. Yeah, I think I texted you at one point, Baldy, and said Wareham's bowling. She's bowling like Shane Warne. It was, it was amazing. A couple of sort of the end of one of her spells is, yeah, qu- absolute quality. I mean, yeah, I was obviously cheering for New Zealand, but it's hard not to appreciate that attack. Mm. And let's uh, let's go to sporting cliche. What positives can New Zealand take out of the series? Well, I think I think probably the the biggest positive. I mean, um, you know, we'll probably talk about this in more depth. Uh, the plan is to talk about it in more depth kind of next week. But uh, I think Amelia Kerr sort of becoming, I guess, the cricketer that everyone kind of wants her to become is mm. is start you know is hopefully starting to happen. And we saw a couple of 
performances there, getting us across the line in that in that one game that we did win there. I mean, that I I would say that's that's the the biggest positive, I guess, and and hopefully, I think the fact that we were competitive against such a quality side. You know, it it feel, feels really defeatist to be saying this, but mm. you know they they are an amazing cricket side. Yeah, I mean history will I think be on the right side of this when like when you look back and this is quite possibly the best women's side that's ever played the game, mm. quite possibly. But I mean Satterthwaite, the Kerr sisters have been exceptional. Um, Sophie Devine and and Susie Bates, you know, had had quiet games and and and, and missed some time. So players other than the big big names for New Zealand were able to stand up and be counted in this series. So there's lots to like from that perspective. Absolutely. We're going to come to you, Raj. Next two or three weeks ago, we spoke about turmoil in South African cricket, and according to all media reports, things aren't getting much better. Yeah, I think it'd be good to to have an update on that situation because it does have a lot of uh, ramifications for the rest of the season for the international fixtures. So. Uh, just before we get into the report, the domestic season for South Africa is going to start up in about three weeks' time. That's good to know. Which is really good because they haven't mm. played for quite a long time. Now we go to that report. Can you remember the name of that report? The Fundunzi report. That yep. report, yep. yeah. <laughs> so with um, the South African Olympic, yeah, the the Olympic Committee also overseeing. So they haven't taken over cricket South Africa at this stage, but they've come in and they've got parts of that report which have been released to the media. So. At this point, I want to say that everything is, is speculation at this stage, but from the reports that we've seen, uh, there is uh, a little bit of trouble for Thibang Moreau, who was the ex-CEO of South African Cricket. Uh, there are things like you know invoices that haven't been... Uh, that have been sent out and paid where there doesn't seem to be any services rendered or products for it. So there is questions around a little bit of corruption there. Uh, we don't know the full, obviously we don't know the full extent of what, what's there, but that stuff coming out is exactly why that committee is a bit concerned about how mm. Cricket South Africa has been run. Uh, the ramifications for that are that the ICC is ready to step in and start suspending South Africa. So very similar thing happened in Zimbabwe a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. As soon as government officials start entering the board of Cricket South Africa, the ICC will step in and start saying, look, we need to be sure that everything is above board before we can let you guys play. Mm. So the ramifications for that, I guess, internationally, uh, England is supposed to be playing a, a, a white ball tour there towards the end of November, early December. So that is that is you know in, that is incoming, and also I've lost the last bit of what I was going to say. <laughs> so <laughs> just take... just whilst you probably remember that, Raj, yeah, I read an article by George DeBell that was talking about that South Africa tour, and the original plan, yes, was that England were due to play three ODIs, three T20s from mid March in twenty twenty one. So not too far away, but a lot of COVID water to probably go under the bridge before before then but yeah talking about this even two or three days ago the likely outcome was that confidence was remaining pretty high that the the tour would go ahead despite that political turmoil but as you say the minute the icc get involved then that's curtains for uh for any of that and and i think you know the planning that goes into these tours now as well we've seen with stuff going on in other sports um you see the asb classic tennis here in auckland's just been cancelled what nearly three months out mm because they can't get those arrangements for the bubbles that they need to get done. Um, England were going to be potentially staying in a bubble in Cape Town 
um, and then playing half the games in Cape Town, half in Paul with that whole group in that bubble, that's going to take some time to arrange. So mm. if the ICC steps in, there's not a lot of time for Cricket South Africa in whatever state it's in to actually get that tour back on and then revenue drops and then they can't, you know, fulfil other things. And, and and all of a sudden you've got a situation where, you know, a, a country that should be a powerhouse of international cricket is going to be uh, fighting with the likes of, you know, Afghanistan and Ireland to get some test match cricket. Absolutely. And the ramification from a government perspective in terms of the COVID situation is that teams in South Africa can't leave South Africa to go and play sport. Individuals on occasion can apply to leave South Africa to go and play sport elsewhere, but but whole teams aren't able to travel in and out of the country easily, if at all. So there's implications both from a, a macro perspective in terms of the administration of the game, but that filters right down into the international players who are now overseas at the IPL. Are they going to be able to get back? If they are, what are they going to be able to do? Can they come home and have a, a financially rewarding cricket summer or are they going to become nomads? I mean, the, the back office ramifications of the kind of administrative side of things could have massive effects for the players on the field. We were just, we've talked a little bit in previous episodes about Colpac and stuff like that's going to encourage people to want to do more and more of that, isn't it? I mean, if they're going to, although that's, you know, you can't actually have those Colpac players anymore in the English County game. So they're going to disappear. Mm. Um, I think next year. So they're allowed to play as overseas players. They've been given one year, additionally to play so counties can play two so an overseas player and a, essentially a second overseas player that may be a Colpack but after that they're going to disappear so the likes of a Simon Harmer and some of those guys you know might even have their Colpack deals um, torn up but a plug for the previous podcast as well so have a listen to Barry Richards we spoke to him just at the start of the the COVID crisis I think really so it would have been sort of March April but he talked a lot about the administration of that South African game including him wanting to get back into it but not really getting that opportunity to do so and talked a little bit about some of that turmoil and then yeah we, we've covered it in uh in two or three episodes previous as well. Raj, you remember what you're saying? <laughs> no, I haven't. But I just there is a there is a tangent. I just want to go on really quickly. I'm I find it interesting because England managed their season of cricket really well, their home summer of cricket, and managed to get a lot of the games in. But now we're going into the you know other side of the world, the different seasons. It's going to be interesting to see how those countries implement the same sort of stuff that England did. Mm. So you're seeing with Sri Lanka already. They're talking about they may not play that series with Correct. England. There's one at the start of next year in that same article. G government getting involved again. So yeah, the Sri Lankan government not you know not necessarily happy with the the, the bubble plans that are being put in place. So. And that's hundred percent right. You also mentioned the, the the tennis and also the baseball. They're not letting the you know the Tuataras and one sort of division of that ABL was supposed to be played in New Zealand, but it's not going to happen now because they don't want they don't want you know, the team's coming in. So it's interesting to see how governments are dealing with this yeah, situation. It's, it's really interesting, isn't it? You can get some yachts in for sailing, but you can't get baseball players or cricketers in. But hey, um, you'll be able to find that on the Beehive podcast, not the Top Order <laughs> um, podcast. Um, let's move on and, and talk um, a little bit about the T20 Blast, which is my This Week in Cricket. So the, the biggest thing I, t I actually took from this is watching the uh, the games before the finals day, actually. So um, Leicester and Notts played in a quarterfinal where um, Leicester absolutely choked going in, you know, absolutely hands-on a day at finals day, going into the final two overs and just capitulated with Samit Patel um, getting Notts over the line with a tie in that game. Um, 
Um, and I think they went on boundaries, ironically, or yeah, certainly oh, something, ne- something, <laughs> something nefarious. Anyway, it might have been run rate, but yeah, who, who cares? Um, and then we got to <laughs> finals day, which were you know, which were affected by rain. So normally they play all three games on the Saturday of a weekend, so the two semi-finals and the final. Um, the the key thing here is they're playing bloody late for England, so third mm. and fourth of October. Um, and Notts got all the way through. So Surrey beat Gloucester in that first semi-final. Um, rain affected game, just 11 overs. The second semi-final, 11 overs as well. And then the final was truncated to 16 overs with uh, Notts cruising, really getting um, past Surrey um, with some of their, you know, some of their stars. So that, you know, they've got the likes of uh, Jason Roy, Hashim Amla, um, as well as Rory Burns batting at, I think, number seven or something like that. Um, ben Folks, Liam Plunkett, but... Um, yeah, Notts, uh, yeah, Notts getting over the line. And Dan Christian, um, who is uh, an absolute legend journeyman of this T20 circuit, isn't he? He does well wherever he goes, um, getting Notts over the line with 21 off 11 balls in that um, in that final. And the evergreen Peter Trigo, I, I don't know whether, how many of you guys yeah, know yeah. him, but came from Somerset, gives the ball an almighty whack. Probably unlucky not to have played some limited overs cricket for England, given his uh, strike rates and his ability to clear the the ball out of the park but yeah um that's t20 t20 blast in october of all things that just about wraps up this part of this week in cricket we are going to be back after the swish to talk all things ipl as we approach the halfway stage of the tournament back after the swish we're back after the swish we wanted a bang as well but apparently we couldn't do it from a technical perspective Bo, did you want to give us a little bit of an update? Where are we at with the ladder? Uh, are we on track with our predictions from our IPL previews with our top fours or top fives? Well, listeners to the Top Order Podcast IPL Rep Show will know that my predictions change hourly, if not daily. <laughs> it's a, a lot's changed in the last couple of weeks, though. Two weeks ago, we were sort of chatting around and, and a lot of the teams were kind of log jammed on the table, you know, one win separated first and eighth. But a few of the front runners have started to emerge in the competition. So Delhi and Mumbai are on a bit of a winning streak and sit right at the top of that ladder. Kings Eleven have, have unfortunately lost a few games on the trot now and they sit sort of anchored to the bottom. I think they're probably the only team at this point that looks unlikely to feature in the playoffs. Although there are a couple of teams that are kind of trending yeah. towards being possibly CSK. possibly being in a bit of a slump. Rajasthan started like a house on fire too from 2-0 and at the start of the start of the tournament. They've lost a couple on the trot now and sit 6th or 7th. Um, and CSK have lost a couple of games as well uh, to sort of round out that, that bottom set of, of teams. Talk to us about CSK because I think we were talking on the pod a few weeks ago about Dhoni and how motivationally he you know he's, he's absolutely awesome he said something in a huddle along the lines of oh I just enjoy it it doesn't really matter it's just a game and now he's actually comparing uh yeah, comparing the Super Kings to the Titanic, isn't he? Too many holes to plug, apparently. Yeah, so this was captured by uh, the guys in Crick Info this week. So he likened the problems his team had to that of a sinking ship, i.e. there's too many leaps for them to be able to plug at the same time. But interestingly, he pointed it to being the batters that were part of the problem, not necessarily the bowling. But I found for, for mine, they haven't been able to contain teams under kind of 175, 180. Um, when we touched on it in the IPL rap show, the only time that they restricted a team to under 170 they won that game all the other games that they've lost so I think there's an argument that that can be made around their batting I actually feel like the most damaging players in their team are batting too far down in the order like Ravi Jadeja Raj previewed him in the in the intro as being an uncontainable player 
batting at seven, I feel like that's too low for him to be able to make an impact on some of these games. It's weird, isn't it? And and that's sort of the way I'm finding some of the some of the tournament in general. I mean, you you look at uh, like last night's game. We're recording this on on Sunday night. I was watching KKR batting. And in fairness, Dinesh Kartik played a great innings, but you, you come up with someone like Andre Russell, who's, you know, one of the most damaging players in the T20 game. He comes in with two or three overs to go, and you sort of wonder, you know, this is hugely wasteful. And, and even, um, you know, someone like Shimron Hetmeyer, who we um, Raj previewed in the, in the preview, and we sort of said how they've spent so much money on him. He's batting six. Mm. He again had a great innings last night, but he's he hasn't really had an opportunity to, to do anything because they've been going so well. Well, I think funny you bring up Hitmeyer there because I read an article where he was talking about Ricky Ponting and the, the effect he's had on his batting. Firstly, he said he, he's worked a lot on his, his back foot game, his, his pull shots, because that's where he was getting a lot of stuff targeted to him. But also, he talked about that role of the finisher, which I think we're going to get onto in a little bit. And me personally, I think there is a role for that, mm. but I think at the moment, maybe they're coming in a little bit too late. Mm. You know, they, I like that that theory of the floater, someone who is just roaming and is going to come in with 10 overs to go, 7 overs to go, uh, but it's about executing it. It is, but I mean, you have a look at that uh, game, the Kings eleven game last night where they lost by two. Maxwell was within an inch of winning that game oh, for his geez. team with that ball that just, just fell short of the boundary rope. He only faced five balls yeah. in, that, in that game. That's too few balls for a guy that can change the game as dynamic as he is to be able to um, to be able to face in, in that kind of situation. I, for, for me, I mean, a lot of these teams are victim of the fact that they've got so many talented players that yeah. w- someone's going to have to bat at six. Yeah, that's um, the thing. Mumbai have got that problem. Delhi have got that problem with Marcus Stoinis and Shimron Hetmeyer. Um, so some of those real quality sides have, have got an issue there. But for mine, Maxwell, maybe that's maybe that's what he wants to be in the team. But to me, it feels like he's batting too low at five and six in those kind of Kings 11 sides that are struggling. I, I don't want to put you under pressure, but are there any stats around that from a finishing perspective, Bordy? I know um, if you look at Joss Butler, he's gone to the top of the order for England in T20s, but still has that finisher role in the 50-over game. Mm. Um, interesting, obviously, that... Um, in the IPL, he's batting at the top of the order. You know, it, it has had some success. And, yeah, lots of success. You know, you're going to fail at the top of the order with that new white kookaburra. Mm. You know, that's a time for you know for the seamers to get you out in conventional ways. But yeah, surely there's you know there's going to be some analysis around what's the difference between getting that kind of guy that could bat four, and that's an Andre Russell. Right? He's not going to open the batting, mm. but he could easily bat four um, for that KKR side. And there's other guys we've mentioned, Hetmeyer. Um, even a Nicholas Puran, someone like that, that could yeah, come well, in that hot so, top top so, of the order. So they've elevated Puran up one. I think he batted at three in one game, whereas previously in the earlier in the season he batted at four. Faf's opening the batting. Um, from a, I, I guess I'm looking at it in terms of like the stats that I'm collecting this season in terms of fantasy cricket, and the guys who bat in the top three by far collect the most fantasy points and have, you know, as a result or as a result of them scoring the most runs in that team. Um, there is absolutely an opportunity for those guys that are in at number six to, to score a bunch of runs, but they tend to do that by getting 40 off 20. Um, I, I would want, in my team, I would want Andre Russell or Kyron Pollard to be able to get 70 off 40 mm. um, rather than having him only face 24 balls. But again, some of those sides are just constrained by the fact that they've got six brilliant batsmen 
and they've got to find a spot for them all. Well, and just from a personal point of view, so let's have a quick roundtable on this. And we, we aren't all great with the Willow. Um, I, I put myself at pretty high <laughs> up that list, um, although I was never dismissed for East Coast Bays, I should point out. Uh, but, um, <laughs> and has lived off it for the last eight years. <laughs> well, you know, you, you, needs must. Um, um, but anyway, before we go into that, um, but yeah, around this table, what what gave us the biggest buzz when we did have those batting performances? Was that set? Was it that seventy off forty where you then went and watched someone finish the game, or was it when you went in and clubbed that sort of thirty off twelve balls? What gave you more satisfaction? Uh, for me, it was more runs batting higher rather than a you know a handy thirty not out off a few balls. Oh, I, I can't I can't exactly comment. I've I've scored. Uh two premier 50s uh, in my whole career so uh and and in the in both of them are in losing causes and one of them uh one of them was about 70 off about 45 balls or something but failed at the the last post got out with about 10 runs to go so i've unfortunately not felt that feeling so for me i guess through my uh, illustrious career uh it changed a lot i mean when you earlier on in your career you're batting up the order you're you're going out there and you're scoring runs you're batting sessions that sort of stuff, you know, makes you feel your accomplishment. But as I got, you know, towards my end of my career, when, you know, you're comparing me with the likes of Emma's Tony, it's... Um, <laughs> it's good with the gloves, mate, I have to say. <laughs> it's about bringing the team home. And that's something that I always struggled with, was I would lay that platform and I wouldn't always get that team home. But later on, that's sort of what was the focus and where you got more more satisfaction out of it for me, I guess. And I think you'll find that a lot of these sides are choosing their most experienced player to play in that finisher role. So Dhoni plays that for CSK, Pollard for um, for Mumbai, um, Hardik Pandya as as well, um, Marcus Stoinis for Delhi. All of those guys are tremendously experienced cricketers, and I think what they're relying on is that experience in tight situations to be able to get them home and give the guys who are maybe a little bit younger more license, more th- more freedom at three and four in the order. Well, and I think now that you're back on CSK, I think that's been their biggest failing in this tournament. That We sort of talked about, we've always talked about MS Dhoni as being the person who can pace the innings perfectly. Mm. And they just haven't done that this year. They've It feels like they've been in most of the games that they've played. Mm. They just keep falling 15, 20 runs short, mm. 10 runs short, because then they're, they're going too late. They're leaving everything too late. And he used to be the master of, you know, leaving it till the last over to need 10 runs off, off it and score them. Now it's just not happening. Yeah. Look, it's a really, really interesting debate, isn't it? You've got Butler, who for me is one of the best finishers. He... He is ice cool. You know, it can get to 13, 14 and over. And he, he finds a way to get this side over the line when he's batting at six or seven. But he's gone to the top of the order. They're mm. recognising the fact that that for the Royals has more um, currency than him as that as that finisher. finisher yeah. I mean, the other side, you mentioned the Kings game from last night. They should have won that game. No matter, no oh, matter, no, no matter who came out, they put Maxwell in there. He's there. He's the big show. They should have won it from that. It's not a touchscreen, Binksy. <laughs> yeah, they were about a run a ball for yeah. just about at one point, and mm. you know, eight wickets, nine wickets in hand, and yeah, I mean, Agarwal and I mean, onto them now. Agarwal and, and Kale Rahul have been doing it for them, you know, the whole season. They've been scoring runs, but they're the, they're the same. They just can't seem to to pace their innings or kind of get every kind of get that complete performance from a team. They sort of just have these individual performances. Puran did it in the previous game where they just went bananas but no one else can kind of get it do you think do you think there's an element of of overthinking in terms of, of strategy or batting lineup going on 
I think there is with the toss. So if you have a look at the first 12 games of the of the IPL, the team that won the toss fielded first 11 times and was like 1 and 10 in that in that set. Then they kind of cottoned on to the fact that, you know, traditionally the due and a fair, and a number of other factors mean that batting second in in the UAE has some advantages, but actually runs on the board at the moment at least in this IPL so far, have been the currency that you can kind of play with. It has been harder to chase. The following five games, the four out of the five games, the team won the toss, batted first, won three of them. So I think there are definitely some some statistical analysis and, and kind of that kind of, uh, what do we call it in basketball? Um, advanced stats. Advanced stats, yeah. yeah. Like advanced stats. That has a place in cricket, and a lot of people talk about matchups, but actually the traditional getting runs on the board, putting other teams under pressure and seeing how they perform has actually been huge in the IPL. We, we, and we kind of now touched on a few of these teams, Delhi, Mumbai, you, you mentioned before. To me, they are kind of streaking ahead. I mean, Delhi, you know, we we talked about all those young players that they've got such a quality side and, and with Kagisa Rabada now leading their attack so well, they're going to be so hard to, to take down. But, then we have Mumbai here and that bowling attack just starting to, to fizz into form. And, yeah, I, I find it really hard even at this point to say anyone else is going to be in that final. That Mumbai attack is is starting to look really good. And it's no surprise that the two best pace bowling attacks in the competition so far belong to the two teams at the top of the table. I mean, Jasprit and Rabada have been the premier pace bowlers in the competition so far. You can throw Jofra Archer in there for Rajasthan, although his team hasn't been winning games as frequently as they would like to be. Those guys are, are have been fantastic. In a tournament that a lot of pundits thought would be a spin bowling tournament, those three guys have been the key bowlers um, in terms of the success for their teams. We talked about that in the preview, though, as well, with the wickets maybe having that little bit more grass on early doors, early doors to, keep yeah. them, to keep them together. But yeah, I mean, even Bumrah didn't start particularly with a with a, a hiss and a roar, did he? And I guess it's it is about peaking at the right time as well. So yeah, who who are we seeing peaking? Do we think we, we've talked obviously Delhi and Mumbai? Who's uh who's your outsider? Well, I think RCB have got to be in consideration for that final purely because Virat's awoken. So he had a, a quiet first sort of two or three games in the tournament. Now he's had a seventy odd and a ninety in the last two games. And he looks in imperious form. He looks like he's really ready to rock and roll. A lot of people have been talking about he's enjoying his cricket a little bit more. I think you're going to start to see a real serious Virat Kohli as you get towards the business end of the competition. And along with Devdutt Padakal, they've been they've been you know a, a really good batting lineup. And with Yuzvendra Trahal, who's been the best spinner in the tournament, they've got a pretty good attack as well. Yeah, I think and and I agree with you, but Baldy on. Um RCB and there's still enough time to get that momentum up mm. going into the the final. You know, we talked about momentum being so important, but I think the Sunrisers are actually they've got a deceptively really a good team. Someone like David Warner or, or Kane Williamson can win a game by themselves with the bat at mm. any stage. So Johnny Besto, Johnny Besto's exactly. been fantastic. Exactly. For He's them been as well, great yeah. as well. Well, and that and that's I think when we are looking for those kind of sides that can upset the apple cart, those are going to be the sides, the ones that have those absolute match winners that can just come in and, and, you know, take everything. And you mentioned Kane. I think he's, you know, we were talking about the middle order as well. I think he's furiously underrated in, in T20 cricket because of that reason. Like, he can come in and be someone who can play the role that he needs to play, whereas mm. a lot of the guys that are in the middle order for a lot of these teams, they're hitters or they they have a specific role, whereas he actually is quite multifaceted and, mm. and can do that. I mean, they've got a fantastic... 
excuse me, they've got a fantastic lineup. Um, SRH have got a fantastic bowling lineup as well. They've got Rashid Khan who could who yeah, could he's win a semi final really nicely. So well. though I think those four teams are the four teams that we're really looking at now as as being the two dominant teams, and then those two other teams that can upset the apple cart on any given day, are which we we've being, seen so far. Are we being rude to KKR there? I feel like they've just kind of snuck a couple of wins here that they should not have really got. I mean, yeah, Kings Eleven shouldn't have blown that one last night. I think, I think the previous game that KKR won, I don't. I think it was that one. They, they shouldn't have won that game either, but somehow they are. And I mean, you know, it's about getting into the knockouts, though, isn't mm, it? Exactly. You've, when you've got someone like Andre Russell in your side, you know, in a knockout format, all of a sudden he can go hot for three games, and then all of a sudden it's you know get the engravers ready. And and that's the thing about this tournament is that those top two teams have emerged, but then the next three teams are incredibly capable of beating anyone on any given day. So whoever gets into that semi-final, you've just got to get there and hope that you win two on the bounce. And we're giving Rajasthan no hope, even though Ben Stokes has just arrived and available for selection. So No, you can't write them off at all because they've got they've got a guy like Steve Smith who hasn't been scoring runs, who's incredibly capable. You've got um, Ben Stokes has just come back that could be an absolute game changer for them. Jofra Archer is one of the premier pace bowlers in world cricket and could destroy any team on any given night. They just haven't quite put put it together. Um, I was impressed with Lomron's debut. Uh, he hit a sort of a 40 mm. or 50. He had quite a good debut, looks a reasonable cricketer. Um, they've just got to kind of put it all together um, in, in a kind of three or four games in a row to get them towards the finals. And they're going to need special performances. Rahul Tawatia pulled them out of the fire with an unusual innings for him batting at number four to win a game for them. So... You know, they're capable. Jaswell had a good game the other yeah. day um, and looks a good cricketer. So they've got all of the cattle. they just got to put it together on the field. So is there anyone we're willing to put a line through halfway through the tournament? Kings 11. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd put a line through oh, the Kings 11. I'm almost there with CSK. I mean, I don't yeah. want to, but I, mm. yeah, they're, they're, just not, they're, they're just not pacing their innings well and, and they've got to change something. And, and, I mean, you mentioned it. You've got guys like Bravo, Jadeja. They've sort of got too many good cricketers that are in the middle there and not doing not doing enough. Yeah. Like Jadeja, they're not they're not bowling four overs. They're not batting for a long enough time. They're going to either have to go. These are our four or five key guys who are going to do everything for us, mm. or they're just going to have to. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it's really tough. There is a bit of a, a bit of a, a golf starting to open up. There, you see these teams mm. like you mentioned. CSK played seven games and they're, they're two they're four points adrift, but the other teams have a game in hand. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you're getting towards the pin. Through the through the through the team sheet there. One of the the other key themes that has come up has been this Sharjah Chad and and I guess the idea that there's been too many runs there. I mean, you know, I, where do we all sit on that? Because to me, T Twenty cricket is kind of about runs as much as I'm a bowler and love to see wickets and and things. The idea that they score two hundred there every single time doesn't actually phase me. I think it's pretty exciting when someone's just smashing it out of the park. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago when Shane Warne came up with some alternative rules for T20, as he's wont to do when he's had a bit of his own gin and, you know, gets a bit nostalgic on Instagram and Twitter and, um, yeah, starts sort of spouting these kind of things. But on with you, like, the, the game is varied enough that you are going to get those kind of wickets where it spins a little bit. And someone like a Rashid Khan is going to bowl his four-over spell and go four for eight because he bamboozles people. You're going to get an occasion where a seamer gets their, you know, their dander up and, and schnicks a few off early doors and all of a sudden you're 30 for three off eight and it's, you know, game over. 
And then the flip side is you are going to have a, a game where, you know, literally your bowlers are all getting neck because yeah. they're just watching it go into the road. And, and you know, that's that's part of the, the game. And, and T20, I think, has got plenty of space for that. And it is a, you know, it is a, a game where you want to see sixes, you want to see entertainment. So, yeah, I've got no problem with it. Yeah, I, I love seeing that as well. My only concern comes when you have teams who are based at that ground and then have to go play somewhere else or having sort of a, a handicap either way. Uh, that, that's my only concern. I haven't actually seen the draw, so I don't know if there is that. They're all, they're all playing even numbers of game, aren't they? Yeah, so there's, there's 12 games in Sharjah, I think, and every team plays the same number of games in that venue for that particular reason that you mentioned. Yeah, and then I have no problem with it. It's exciting to watch. Mm. And what about the the catching and the lights and stuff? Because that's come into it, and I think Sharjah is one of the one of the criticisms there as well. It feels like a real Jekyll and Hyde kind of catching standard. We've seen some amazing some catches in the outfield, ones some in unbelievable diving catches, relay efforts. You know, players over the boundary flicking the ball back into a teammate. But we've seen some some pretty bad misses. Um, and in the context of the games, a couple of them have been really quite costly. Uh, Coley was dropped on like twenty, went on to get ninety, mm. um, and there's been there's been others as well. Um, so I'm, I'm not really sure what to put it down to. There was talk that the the lighting situation in one of the grounds, it might have been Sharjah. It's too low because it's yeah, around so the edge of the it's stadium. it's the edge yeah. of the stadium and then causes issues for players kind of sighting the ball as it goes into the lights, going up and then coming back down again. Um, I, I, I'm not sure what to put it down to. Quite, I'd love to talk to James Pammett about their fielding and, and what they've been doing. They've been one of the better, te- better yeah. fielding teams in the competition. I, I just don't Pollard, know what it comes down Pollard to. Things. He's, yeah, he's mm. awesome, isn't mm. he? I'd like to come back to that Sharjah thing, just because I'll, I can play the devil's ad, advocate in terms of in terms of that ground thing. Oh, go on then. Go on. <laughs> let, let, let me play. Okay, so I'm 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 with all of you that I think T20 should be pro- predominantly a batsman dominated game, but I don't think that Sharjah is big enough for the strength and the athleticism and the size of the bats that the players have got in in this day and age, in that they are more likely to try and go anyway because they know that the boundary is short. So even if they miss hit the ball, it, it almost doesn't matter at Sharjah. It's going to go 65 metres and it's going to clear the boundary. If it was a tiny bit bigger, I mean, if it was 70 metres instead of 60, have at it. Have as, have as good a wicket as you can get, as big a bat as you want, and if you can get it to go 75 yards to clear the boundary in the fielder, you know, fair enough. But... I think Sharjah is just that tiny little bit too small. For instance, Eden Park, you wouldn't want to see every T20 game played at Eden Park just because it's so small that you, like I could be standing in the slips at Eden Park if I'm <laughs> if I'm standing at one end, you know? So that would be the only criticism I have of that kind of thinking is that Sharjah is just a tiny bit too small for that. So I guess that that was my argument. You've cut me off there at the knees. That Eden Park is a test venue and they play a lot of international cricket there. Do you think it's unsuitable then for cricket of that level? I think Eden Park is too small, yeah. I think it's for the size of the bats and the athletic ability of players today, Eden Park is is too small a ground for it to be a reasonably fair contest between bat and ball. I'm all for, I'm all for grounds being um, reasonably small. You don't have to be huge. You don't have to be the MCG big to be a viable T20 ground. But I think there is a reasonable minimum, given how big bats are these days. If we started fiddling with the dimensions of bats or doing something to make the ball travel slightly less far, and there's lots of arguments that you can make there, maybe that's for another time. But 
I think to answer your question, yes, Eden Park is too small for the size of bats that we've got to host international cricket. I think it's a good point that you raise and and a fair one in the sense that you don't want to see people miscuing it for six. I think that is kind of where the line is drawn for me. When when you do start having guys just top edging it for six or, you know, big leading edge and it's it's gone for six and no one can get it, it does get a bit ridiculous, but... Yeah, you know, absolutely on the actual total, so I'm I'm all for that. Yeah, yeah. I guess the difficulty is they didn't have a lot of choice. They needed three grounds no, to right. get the games yeah. in. No, you're absolutely it, right. It's getting the tournament on, and I think also retrospectively, how far do you go back to talk about the dimensions of a game of a ground? And you know, if you actually spin that forward twenty years, as the guys do more and more power hitting, bat technology gets the same as it probably does in driver technology in golf. Yep. All of a sudden, the MCG will be too small, and you know, you've been needing to build more and more stadiums with five meters extra every single time. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Eden Park's a, you know a joke as a as a as a T Twenty venue in terms of the boundary sizes. But it's incredibly entertaining to go and watch oh. cricket there because you're in the game in the crowd all the time. You know, you, you're going well, to get sixes. Yeah, because, you're get because you're at mid off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I don't think we're going to get to the end of that particular debate around ground sizes unless we decide that you can have a DLF uh, undercover fielder in the crowd somewhere that you know <laughs> might be um, part of your 11 on the day. But uh, Lippy... I, I like that you gave that a sponsor, sponsor's name because that's part of the IPL. Well, that's, that's well, a huge part of the IPL. Well, it is. And now I'm actually coming to the um, King's Plant Barn. Um, <laughs> at, at Lipshaw wind back his prediction uh, on the Top Order podcast. Because, Lippy, you want to have a chat because you, you, you want to backtrack a little bit on CSK lifting the trophy, I think. Well, we sort of thought we should probably halfway halfway in kind of give our, our now updated predictions. And, and, yeah, unfortunately, I think CSK... My CSK prediction is not aging well, uh, and I mean, yeah, for me, I, I would, I think I'm leaning towards Mumbai. To be honest, um, I love that Delhi side. You know, when we these fantasy fantasy league that we're in, I pick all those Mumbai batsmen, uh, all those uh, Delhi batsmen, Delhi batsmen every single time because I just love watching them play. But that Mumbai attack is, I just feel like they're going to be so hard to to run down, and and in those big games, they've got all those big players. Yeah, to me, it feels like their tournament. So that's your one transfer. So you're swapping Delhi Capitals. We get 110 for, transfers, well, don't no, we? On, on, the, on the backtracking, your prediction of winning, you get one transfer. So the halfway stage, you are transferring. Is that right? I will transfer to the Mumbai Indians, yep. Baldy, over to you. Well, I think I had did I have Mumbai and Raw Challengers Bangalore in the final. It's hard to go past that, but boy, Delhi have been playing some really good cricket. I think... Just say you I, I can't go I can't go past Mumbai and, and RCB in the final. Delhi have been playing some fantastic cricket, but... RCB have got Virat Kohli, and come finals time, cometh the, cometh the hour, cometh the man. I think I, I won't change my, my my opinion here just yet. Yeah, for me, I'm sticking with RCB in the final. I actually have a prop bet that RCB will finish ahead of Kings Eleven Punjab, so that's yep. looking good. Oh, that's all um, bets paid. Right dinner, now. dinner, dinner one night, I think. Uh, but no, I think RCB they started off slow. They're going to start building that momentum that we've all talked about. The only problem is that there is too much of a gap between their best performance and their worst performance yeah, good point. from what you've seen. So they need to start being more consistent, and that starts with, with King Coley. Yeah, look, for mine, I actually can't remember I picked for the final, so it seems that long. Delhi. Did I pick Delhi as well? Yeah, so look, I don't think you can look past Delhi for the finals the way that they're going at the moment. But for me, I, the two teams that I previewed in that preview show were Rajasthan and the KKR. Um, I really like KKR because I think they're just going a little bit unnoticed. They're not being spoken of in the same breath as the 
the Capitals and the Indians. So I think KKR, KKR are going to scrape into into that four, even if it's fourth. Um, and yeah, I just have a feeling as well that, you know, Rajasthan with Stokes is a little bit of a catalyst, can see themselves um, catapult um, up the table, especially with the, you know, the songs of Steve Smith to power them as well. You know, um, <laughs> Beautiful, he, yeah. he's got, he's got a ballad in defeat and he's got an, you know, an upbeat rousing, you know, cold chisel when they win. So um, yeah, for me, I'm, I'm sticking with my two teams as well. But look, that just about wraps up this rambling episode of the Top Order podcast. This week in cricket, we covered a whole heap of stuff, some serious, some not so serious. Would just say, please take a listen to the IPL rap show as it comes out throughout the course of the tournament. We are trying to record as regularly as we can to wrap up as many games in as timely fashion as we can. Baldy doing a fantastic um, job on the majority of those. You'll see myself and Lippy hopefully pop up in that feed as well at some point in the future. And do delve back into the back catalogue as well because we've got heaps and heaps of interviews um, both in the back catalogue and coming up. We've got the domestic captains and notable players from all the New Zealand provinces coming on the show to talk about their um, chances for the season as we approach the start of that. I think on the 19th of October, that all kicks off in New Zealand. We're hopefully getting more and more cricket um, on the TV and on the radar as we move into the late part of this year. Really looking forward to the New Zealand summer and seeing some live cricket. Hopefully now we're back into level one. But that's it from the Top Order podcast. You'll find us on all of our social channels. If you want to find out where we are, www.thetoporderpodcast.com will give you links to all of our social channels. Um, But that's it for now. Thanks for tuning in.